0: Hey everyone, welcome. Romans twelve sixteen says that Christians are supposed to be of the same mind with one another. What does that even mean in America in 2021? What about individuality? What about freedom of conscience? Should our relationships and loyalties have an impact on what we believe? Basically, we're talking about church unity today. I hope you enjoy the episode. The conversation today is with Max Corral, Stephen Baker, and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast. Hey. So, this past Sunday, I preached from Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, verses 14 to 16, and in those few verses, it has a number of commands to the church uh, that Paul was writing to, and of course, to us as Christians. And in verse 16, it says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. All right, so I had a number of commentators that I read as I prepared, and this is Haldane. Is it Robert Haldane? Is that his name? Okay. So this is Haldane on verse 16 of the phrase, be of the same mind toward one another. He says, This precept refers rather to unanimity, cordiality, and harmony in transacting all the business of the church than to oneness of mind as to the truth. With respect to faith, It is the word of God with which believers are to be in accordance and not with the opinions of each other. That really stuck out to me because not only did he say that, and I was a little bit surprised by that, but the other commentators I read were, it was clear to me that there was ambivalence about what exactly this passage is supposed to mean. What does it mean to be of the same mind toward one another? There was a kind of a tension there that uh, across three or four commentators, they didn't really agree with each other and not, I'm not even sure that they agreed with themselves. So with that as a backdrop, what does this mean? A group of Christians to be of the same mind toward one another. What does that mean?
1: So when I think of unity, I think first of all, of Ephesians four, where he says at the beginning, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience Showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, So, there's a unity that is produced by the Holy Spirit, the unity of the spirit. Okay. And we are not to produce it, but to keep it, to guard it, protect it. And then later on in Ephesians, he says that God gives pastors and teachers and apostles to build up the church until we all attain the unity of the faith. Hmm. And so there's one one unity that is produced by the spirit and that we are to keep and guard and protect. There's another kind that we are to grow into through teaching and through the ministry of, of the officers of the church. And so I think it's helpful to distinguish between those two. And so I would I would, I would put the Romans twelve command mm-hmm. in yep. the context of that second kind,
0: maybe. The kind that we're supposed to grow into.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, okay. In other words, there's there is a kind that we don't produce, we have to just we have to guard it. And he tells us how to guard it by being Well, what's the difference? Humble between and the two? gentle and patient. The difference is one comes by virtue of us being in Christ by being having God as our Father. Okay. It exists. He produces it. It can be broken. That's why we have to guard it. But we can't produce it. The other kind is a process that is going to be messy and and could take, depending on how you look at Ephesians 4, it could take years, it could take thousands of years. Hmm. You know, where we we fight and we fight and we come to over time begin to become unified on what the faith is the unity of the faith so it's doctrinal and stuff like that okay
0: but you're you're trying to branch a gap between the church over millennia and a particular church with a group of people
1: no no not necessarily okay. I, i'm saying it could probably apply to both okay well, well
0: that's what i'm saying you, yeah. you you say it could apply to both but that's a that's a that's a those are two really different things that were that you're talking about and so Let's let's focus in on the unity within a smaller body. Let's right. let's leave the, yeah. the millennia to the side for a second. If you're thinking about the local body, what are the two? What's the distinction between the two kinds of unity? Because mm-hmm. I, I it's hard for me to see.
1: Okay, so in our particular church, we have people from all from all kinds of backgrounds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ethnically, economically, educationally, vocationally and doctrinally yep. and they come and they feel like, okay, this is a place where I feel even if they disagree Connected. with particular doctrines hmm. that we hold without apology, right? They, they feel there's something going on here. That's there's a unity here. There's a love for one another that they get drawn into mm-hmm. and are willing at that point to set aside their theological differences often. Hmm and say i'm i don't know i i don't know about calvinism or whatever yeah but
0: i want to be a part of what's going going on here here." yeah
1: and what often happens over time is that then they they are open then to the to changing their doctrine Hmm. so that's what i mean there's one that's like just there and there's another that that gets worked through um not that when I say it's just there, I mean, it is something that the Holy Spirit produces. That's mm-hmm. what he says here. Mm-hmm. And then there's another kind that has to be worked through, through that comes through specifically through the process of teaching. Mm-hmm. And there you're talking, you're talking
2: about doctrine. I mean, yeah. you're talking about truths. Okay. What are you thinking over there, Max? Well, I, I'm wondering if that doesn't apply in uh, Philippians 2. Okay. So... He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, mm-hmm. maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he goes on for instructions on how to do that, but that everybody is supposed to share these things. And then you get to verse five and he says, in the King James it says, being of the same mind with Jesus, where in, in the NASB it says, have this attitude. Yeah. And so this and then it goes on to where it even comes to the point of confessing in verse 10 every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus is lord to the glory of god Hmm. the father and uh, to what stephen was just talking about this is the work of the latter i guess of what stephen was just talking about because it really is the work of coming to unity uh, confessionally i'm trying to think if i think it's unfortunate that the nasb translate translates verse five as attitude instead of mind hmm. interesting because i think we think something very differently if we think attitude mm-hmm. and is mm-hmm. is it wrong in the context mind is used earlier confession is used later but i don't want to say that attitude is inappropriate at that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. but it does lead us to something. You might say that everybody has the same attitude. Well, every you know, we think of that, and we think, you know, what's your attitude today, Stephen? You seem to be <laughs> have very bad. <laughs> have, a, have another chocolate bar, <laughs> you know, and you have a good attitude. Um, but but there's something significant to the to the context of this that talks about people's behavior and that behavior is based on their submission to christ Mm. their confession of him their acknowledgement of his lordship and their desire to emulate him Hmm. to be like him so there's i got a lot of thoughts going
0: on here because i think a lot of what we're talking about is the tension between relationships and doctrinal truth and you know when i think of when I think of a typical evangelical or i don't know maybe a typical reformed kind of person, they're going to want to look at the doctrinal at least we like to think that we're going to join a church
2: that has the particular doctrinal commitments that we agree with, but you know as you say that lucas i think about I think about denominations that have just gone completely apostate mm-hmm. and they still carry a doctrinal statement at their on their website Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the doctrinal statement is still you know it's old and it's probably very very good and there's the doctrinal statement but then as they live it out there's nothing of the reality of it Mm. practiced in their lives it's just it's just deadness they they have relationships with
0: each other but they don't have they don't have a common commitment at all to the doctrinal things you see on their
2: website Or to obedience to Christ or Mm -hmm. to obedience to God's word, the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy Mm -hmm. are walking hand in hand, but the orthopraxy is always the one that's, well, if you really are going to make application of the orthodoxy, the orthopraxy is always the one that's given you fits Mm. because there's where the tunnel of chaos is. There's where Mm -hmm. all of the, all of the fighting is that's where all the difficulty is that's that's where the relationships are that's where you sinned against me i sinned against you we sought forgiveness from one another and we realize that our sins are not conformity to christ or his mind or the or the commitment that we have to him and his glory Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but rather they are our selfishness coming out and our ambitious our ambition coming out Hmm.
3: I think it is possible to have relational peace or unity of a sort. And I think that's what the evangelical church has today. I think it's also what strict subscriptionist churches have today. Hmm. I think evangelicals and strict subscriptionist churches can squelch any evidence of disunity by impressing upon people the necessity of saluting the flag, whether that flag is relational Mm -hmm. or doctrinal. I think that what we have to keep our eye on in a discussion of peace and unity is the issue of um, what Aaron Prelock in his uh, dissertation on John Owen and disposition in pastoral ministry, he refers to the word disposition. Okay. Mm And disposition does address something that if you're just focused on doctrine, you'll be very uncomfortable with it because it has to do with posture, with heart, Mm -hmm. inclination, Mm -hmm. with emotions. I think a lot of doctrinaire uh, reform people are uncomfortable with Edwards because of the degree to which Edward deals with disposition. Right. Mm But disposition is what keeps us at peace often when we don't have strict unity because of the diversity of gifts that God has put in us. Those gifts are also in our brains. Some people actually understand things better than others, and mm. some people who don't understand things as well as other people do have occasional insights into mutually exclusive clauses. In other words, God has put into the church a great diversity of of insight into Mm. the truth. And we will never attain that truth in this life. Mm -hmm. And so simply having a trustful inclination and disposition towards each other Mm. that I want to hear what Stephen and Max and you say, because I've learned again and again and again that if I'm satisfied with my own thoughts, it's like smoking dope, I'll be (laughs) stupefied. No, seriously, it just deadens your intellect. Mm -hmm. It deadens your impregnability, you you just become impregnable. You're just Mm. so caught up with your own pride, your own trust in your own judgments, your own confessions, your own relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're trying to get at is the fact that when the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins, it's addressing the issue of disposition in the relationship of Christians to one another Mm -hmm. in the matters of sin. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's true that love covers a multitude of sins, it also covers a multitude of lack of perfection in God's truth, that you have a predisposition to accept one another even though you disagree on some doctrinal matters. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting I want to read for, from 1 Corinthians 1.10. Yeah. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you all speak the same thing and that there be yeah. no divisions, the Greek there is schisms among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there we have speaking the same thing and same mind and same judgment. And then we read about the church in Jerusalem at the very beginning. There were those who were, who had believed were together and had all things in common. So, there it's real organic, it's, yep. it's physical. Mm-hmm. And they began selling their property and possessions, mm-hmm. were sharing them with it. Well, it's financial, mm-hmm. okay? As anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind mm-hmm. in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and there you see the disposition at the end gladness and sincerity of heart causes them to want to be together to want to have everything in common to share with anyone with need and to have one mind Mm -hmm. and so i I think we have to i think what you're trying to get at is that disposition really does address money possessions eating together doctrine it addresses everything. And I think maybe that's what you're getting at. Yeah. And talking about what the spirit produces. Yeah.
1: The apostle Paul says, with all Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, mm-hmm. showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. So all of that goes together. That that's how we we bear another translation of that is bearing with one another in love you know putting up with one another in love is that disposition the humility the gentleness the patience putting up with one another and that's how we do the hard diligent he says being diligent is how we do the hard work of keeping the unity of the spirit it is all very much relational there you know it's interesting the degree
3: to which the new testament shows The familial, domestic, flesh and blood, money, food, Mm -hmm. home, nature of the church in the New Testament— yeah. And the degree to which households and eating together and sharing money and everything—it's so, and it's so obvious today how it's missing in the church. Even though we have our mission societies and you know take up the deacons' offering and everything, we are not in each other's homes. No, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's atomized. And and what I've noticed—I don't—I I shouldn't say I. What we at this table, all of us have noticed through the years, is as people leave our church after getting done with uh, Indiana University. They'll go out and try to find a church and almost always they will report that whatever community they move to, they have to make a choice between a church with fellowship, which is that dispositional thing mm. of love and mm-hmm. unity, or a church with proper doctrine. Right. But mm. it's so rare that you find good
2: fellowship and good doctrine together. Yeah. Or even yeah. just fellowship. I, I remember going on vacation years ago. And we visited a Baptist church in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we went in, our daughter Allie said, do you think somebody will invite us over for lunch? <laughs> and we, we made our way out of the church. Yeah, and we got to the door, and the pastor shook our hands, and no, nobody really talked to us very much. Mm-hmm. We got to the car, and boy, was she angry. Mm-hmm. She wanted she wanted to go and meet somebody mm-hmm. and yeah. see their house, and yeah. and uh, but I think it was her expectation because she'd had such a benefit of having had that as her example in our church because yeah. you know we actually have had a history of. Of trying to get people not to ask every newcomer that comes to the church, 16 people asking mm-hmm. them over mm-hmm. for lunch, and which is actually a very good yeah. thing to have as a reality. Good yeah. problem to have.
1: There's the, another one in Acts, is Acts 4, uh, 432, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. Which so That's what you're talking about. Yeah, but think goes.
3: about that, Stephen. Apply yeah. that to doctrine. I mean, nobody said that this is my special yeah. insight yeah, into the doctrine of justification, mm-hmm. into the doctrine of the sacraments. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But there was something that bound them together deep, deeply. One heart, one soul.
3: Yeah, and you think about immediately after the passage I read from First Corinthians 1, it then goes and says, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, mm-hmm. I'm of mm-hmm. Paul, I'm of Jesus. Which I always get a kick out of. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always one guy that's gonna one up everybody else. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're not of Jesus. We're well, we are of Jesus. But we're well I, well I, I like Jesus and Paul. Well, I like Jesus and Apollos. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like Jesus. It's frustrating to me here in this part of the country where it's filled with Campbellites. Mm, I right. mean, they preside over the Midwest at this part. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to name anything when every one of their churches is called the Christian church? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, so I guess. Of Christ. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're not Christian. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah.
0: So we've danced around this issue of relationship and doctrine. And I think we need to continue opening this up because in our broader culture, there's a strong emphasis on individuality, right? That's obvious. That's the broader culture. But then if you bring it into the church, it's almost as if I feel a little violated by the idea that it says, speak the same thing. I don't know if that's if that's an American reaction or what, but it's like we've been trained to think of that ni- of that 1984 Apple commercial where everyone is just saying the same thing, that that's a bad thing.
1: <laughs> but, but they are saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be true. I mean, monolithically saying the same thing. The people who are saying we shouldn't be forced to say the same thing are saying the same thing. <laughs>
3: Yeah, this reminds me of Pentecostals and Charismatics who get down on people who are Reformed for having worship that has certain structural elements, Mm -hmm. like a prayer of confession, an assurance of pardon, a call to worship, a congregation. And they say, you guys are just squelching the Spirit. You're just not willing to really be vulnerable to to going where the Spirit leads you, right? Mm -hmm. That's the conceit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: But the fact is that Charismatics and Pentecostals are much more in a straitjacket in their worship than any reform service mm-hmm. I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Because at least reform services will have different words each week. <laughs> but Pentecostals and Charismatics have a monotone yeah. and they use the same words in the same ways with the same hiccup, with the same <laughs> organ chords behind yes. it. With yes.
1: the, I mean, it <laughs> the is... The same chord changes yeah. to produce the same effect of the Spirit yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. produced yeah. by the and, organ change. Yeah,
3: and the, the bosomy women who are giving prophecies say the same thing. <laughs> right. It's like the Holy Spirit could say a whole bunch of different things things in scripture but when it's a a prophetic word it's always the same oh my people i just love you and so i think we have to be careful to realize that all discussions of unity and peace Mm. like all discussions of spontaneity are not really about spontaneity at all and are not really about unity and peace and so i looked up right before we started the podcast. This statement, which is uh, given by, it's given by Neville Chamberlain, right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: And what does he say? Well, he's 1930 British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. Peace for our time, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, at the same time, um, Benjamin Drisraeli, uh, returning from this Congress of Berlin. He had stated, I have returned from Germany with peace for our time. In other words, there were people who were compromisers Mm -hmm. and who Mm -hmm. did not want to look in the face of the wickedness of the Third Reich and who proclaimed peace. And isn't that exactly what it says all false pastors do? Mm -hmm. They say peace, peace where there is no peace. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful as we talk about what peace and unity is. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. That's so that's exactly right. right. But then we've already talked about how it's important to have this predisposition, this kind of attitude. Towards unity. Yeah. Love. And so what's the distinction though between saying peace, peace? Because I could see a real fire breathing, like I believe in the word of God kind of a person coming and saying, you know, how could you possibly countenance the idea? What would be an example well we of this? get this
1: all the time about baptism yeah 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 okay that's the perfect yeah. example <laughs> yeah, yeah because we in our church we how we have officers and members who yeah, yeah. in their conscience and their convictions by biblical arguments you know on each side come to different conclusions on baptism whether it's for infants of believers or for those who profess faith alone mm-hmm. and people on both sides look at us and and think we're liberal, you know, compromisers who have given up some, you know, I was at this conference once and I, this was years ago when we were first here and I was explaining to the guy that practice of ours on baptism. And this guy looked at me and he said, I believe I would die for the doctrine of believers only baptism. Would you <laughs> die for the doctrine of believers <laughs> over baptism? And I said, uh. No, (laughs) I would. You know, it's
0: just—it's
1: insane. Hear the the Western music. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm seriously. I mean, it was that. It was that intense. Yeah.
3: Well, and I used to say to the men in my Presbyterian in my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, I used to say to them, look. I know that you think we've compromised, and I know you think that mm-hmm. we don't believe anything about baptism, but the fact is, I am absolutely committed to infant baptism. Absolutely mm-hmm. committed. And I said, there are people in our church that are absolutely committed to believers only baptism, to credo baptism. Mm-hmm. And I said, this does not mean that we're not fully committed to our side, the fact that we've decided to have a disposition of love towards each other and actually worship together. And so, if you look at the issue of baptism, which is good, what you'll see is that— Everywhere up to the actual worship service,
0: Baptists and Presbyterians couldn't give a rip. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so
3: when I, we now, had general—
0: is it, is it true to say that up to the actual worship service or up to actual authority in the church?
3: Well, I don't know. But I, I've thought the worship service because even when we had General Assembly in Louisville, they had, at the main service where mm-hmm. we celebrated the Lord's Supper, they had Al Moore come preach. And they, oh, 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 I and see. so my yeah, point is, the yeah, my they, they, Westminster okay. seminary in California, which mm-hmm. is continental reformedism, not just English, right? Not mm-hmm. just Westminster. They are the seminary for Reformed Baptists. Uh, mm-hmm. not anymore. Oh, they're not.
1: No, well, that was, ca- that the, was case the case for decades, but of course, yeah,
3: well. And you look at the conferences, you look at Banner of Truth, which had a healthy mm-hmm. mixture of both Reformed Baptists and Reformed Presbyterians. You look at the books that are written, you look at the publishers, yep, yep. you look you look everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what you see is cr- cross-pollination led by a, a loving disposition towards each other. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to threaten the trademark of The local church, I think that's what it is. Or
0: particular denominations.
3: Yeah, but then you've got the PCA inviting, you know, more to come preach Hmm. in Louisville. I don't know.
0: The trademark of the local church, okay.
3: It's almost as if when the individual pastor feels threatened that Baptists might come into his church or he might lose some of his people to the Southern
1: Baptist Church. Or the other way around. I mean, that in in the crusty Reformed Baptist churches, that is their greatest fear. Mm. Even though they read, Calvin, all they read is Presbyterian. Hmm. All they listen to is Presbyterian, and yeah. yet it's just this weird, I think that's why it's so, well.
3: Let's say this about the division over baptism. What I always used to say, I got sidetracked, what I always used to say to other PCA men is, listen, you come in my church and you just at random select people who are Credo Baptists and ask them to explain the biblical position On the baptism of infants. And I guarantee you, you will get a better explanation from scripture for infant baptism from the people in our church who are adult believer baptists only Mm. than you will get in your church from the people who claim to be paedo-baptists. And I never had anybody argue with me. Mm -hmm. The fact is, the PCA itself I would say the majority of people, I mean, they've got a pastor, several pastors and elders that go around the country trying to convince elders in mm-hmm. particular PCA churches that infant baptism is not a, an error biblically. And yet they've had to agree to infant baptism to become officers. Mm. And so this is, this is something that's very important to realize. You can have people committing themselves to the same words and the same thoughts and having the same mind who have their fingers crossed behind their backs, okay? <laughs> yeah, And you must be very, very willing to have disagreement to have any real unity. Real unity never comes out of enforced conformity.
1: Hmm.
2: There are places, though, where you can't have disagreement.
1: That's right.
2: And even on the issue of baptism, it's interesting right. that when you talk about baptism, and, and I try to explain the church's position on baptism mm-hmm. to people, they're always looking at me, and, and I always end up t- telling them, but wait a minute, don't, don't get me wrong.
1: Right.
2: First of all, I need you to understand what the Presbyterian position on baptism is. Yep. And what the credo Baptist position on baptism is, that's one thing for you to do, but we agree on what they are not right. And you have to understand that as thoroughly. And when we're fighting today, hmm. we're really fighting about what they're not. That's where yeah, the that's where, the real, that's where the real conflict is all around us is where they're not.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's at the point of sacramentalism. Right. that we're really dealing with this right yeah. on the one hand and,
1: sacramentalism on the other hand and even not no, nothingness
2: and even yeah. where we do disagree we have such high commitments about the reality and the place of children because it's really about whether or not children should be marked hmm. even at that place we have such high, a high degree of agreement about mm-hmm. what should be done with children that it becomes a, a, an anomaly to the church. I mean, where do you go mm-hmm. in churches today? And they talk about the reality of the parents' responsibility and the church's responsibility for the children of the church mm-hmm. and what those children's role is in the church. You, you just don't hear it talked. I mean, I'm not saying it's gone. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that it's it's not, It's not something that's – but with baptism, there's lots of people. That's a nice little place where we're like a bunch of –
3: Okay, let me go back
2: and perfect what I was saying.
3: I'm not saying that there aren't times and places where it's absolutely imperative to enforce conformity.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
3: that's everywhere. What I am trying to say is – That there is a dishonest enforced conformity, which can posture itself and parade itself as being unity, which is absolutely not unity at all. It's just somebody having a louder voice than everybody else. And you Mm -hmm. have to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of unity under Mark Driscoll out at Mars Hill because he was the baddest blankety blank of all of them. And so, yeah, you have unity under Mark Driscoll. The same thing was true of Tim Keller. You know, Tim Mm -hmm. Keller had an enforced unity on his pastoral Mm -hmm. staff. And so we have to be very careful in making a distinction between an enforced or financial incentive conformity where everybody agrees to not what would the word be? Not Not rock the boat. Not rock the boat, you know. And those areas where there absolutely must be. And of course, Which or which is the argument, you know? Yeah. I
0: mean, that's what's going through my mind right now. But
3: earlier you said you didn't like to see it saying the same words. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because we live in America and we believe. That nobody should be uptight about words. That's part of the evangelical culture. How do you have parachurch missions and ministries on campuses that involve you know seven hundred and fifty million dollars being given every year for their ministries, and then have any accountability for words? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in other words, it's antithetical to the evangelical movement. We've inherited that, mm-hmm. but honestly, it's absolutely imperative. That we be accountable for words because Mm -hmm. even if we forget about confessions and confessionalism, even if we forget about the apostles, great. We go into the New Testament and what is the Apostle Paul doing every time he picks up the pen? What he is doing is making peace. Hmm. That's what he's always doing. Now, how does he do it? Well, he does it by enforcing Mm-hmm. The same words right. on everybody. <laughs> yeah.
1: Retain the standard of sound words. That's yeah. so what he says to Timothy and Titus, that kind of thing constantly. This is the standard. Keep it. Keep it. And he was not afraid to break relationship with Peter publicly over doctrine.
2: Hmm.
3: Which is words. The necessity yeah. of circumcision. That's right.
0: So this is something that is endemic to our time and period that there's this bait and switch, uh, because for you to say that, you know, people just think, again, 1984, they think cult, they think all of these things, but it's happening all around, right? I mean, what is political correctness except the enforcement of being of the same mind? Okay. <laughs> and not,
3: not just the being of the same mind, but Joe Sobern taught me this, taking away the right to free association. It's Mm -hmm. not just the mind. It's they will bus your children. You will work next to a transsexual. You will attend the transsexual's wedding. It's right down to relationships. They will not Mm -hmm. tolerate you accepting words and declining to participate in the oneness of relationships. That's one of the most insidious parts of the enforced conformity in the Western world today. And so that's why liberals always have such a determination to fund public education because public education has always been fundamentally a homogenization action of the elite over the children of the fools, the stupid, (laughs) the people that work with their hands. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting arguments is if freedom of religion really matters in the United States still, and that's a, a highly arguable proposition. <laughs> highly yeah. arguable. Right. If it matters, does that include the freedom of stupid people who voted for President Trump to bring their children up in the faith of their fathers, or does the fact that they voted for President Trump mean that they can't train their children? But somehow we have to wrest them out of the hands of those parents because those parents are deplorables, can't be trusted, mm-hmm. can't and be so trusted
1: with the future. You know? Yeah,
3: can we allow poor people who are ignorant? Now I'm not saying that I think this.
2: Yeah, yeah. Can we
3: allow them freedom of religion? I'm not sure we can. Right, right. Or at least not allow it to them passing it on to their children for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm.
0: Another thing that feels like a violation is that I would somehow come to my convictions about a doctrinal topic, about a truth, based on loyalty.
3: Oh my goodness. <laughs> what do you
1: mean loyal personal loyalty Well, to, huh?
0: you know, I mean, look, we're in the middle of COVID still, right? Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of fighting. And uh, we've talked a lot about authority and church leaders. And, you know, you could say that to some degree, we've argued for people to be loyal to their fathers in the faith, their, their mm-hmm. pastors, their elders. But hey, I, I have a different conviction about masks. I don't want to make this about COVID again, but I, I do want to make this about what is the connection between having an obligation to be loyal to the, your church fathers, the men that are teaching and preaching to you and coming to conviction about any given matter.
2: That's a difficult question, Lucas, because it, there are so many extenuating circumstances. For instance, a young man may come to that question and his the reality isn't that that he has broadly understood everything that's at stake and that he actually has come to a different conviction through study and experience (laughs) and and observation but that rather he has a a a young man's foolish impetuous preference that he should be allowed to smoke marijuana (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and that those old men who say that I shouldn't be allowed—they're just un—you know—they just don't understand that, right? And that's a bad example because then how am I going to respond and say, you know, there could be a time when, but he might still submit to them even in a time when his submission is is not really uh, affecting him. In other words, he's obviously not being called upon by them to sin against God in in his submission to them. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so that's why I say it's uh, difficult. What's your point?
0: What's your point?
3: Well, I Tim,
2: because I, I, I want to know what you're thinking about what I said. Go well, ahead. the
3: last thing you said was he's not being
2: called to, to sin against God in what they call him to do.
3: Yeah, and that's where the whole discussion of conscience in the last year and a half has mm-hmm. been. so disruptive because Lucas has voiced what every red-blooded American Christian thinks, which is that you ought never to yield to anyone who in any way calls you to go against your, whatever they call, conscience. Right, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. But, I mean, you just don't find in Scripture the kind of, cataclysmic claims for conscience and freedom mm-hmm. of conscience and the need for you to come to your own informed judgment yourself and not simply submit to others and this, that, and the other thing.
0: But how can you even be a Protestant if, you, if you're saying that? Because mm. the Protestants restored the truths of
3: scripture and they showed that they were in continuity with the early church. Mm, and so right. all this talk about us being only five centuries old is complete baloney promulgated by Roman Catholics who want to claim that from the beginning they've had the chair of St. Peter. And it's a lie. Mm -hmm. They haven't had the chair unless simple geographic location is how we judge unity of the spirit and the bond of peace Mm that the new testament gives Mm -hmm. and so what i tell people is that the roman catholic church was in a horrible time in the middle ages i mean medievalism Mm -hmm. was nothing pretty what really happened in the reformation is that there was a need for reform and the church had a moment where it could be humble and be led by Luther and Calvin and all the other godly men, or whether it could get hardened arteries of, mm. of the Council of Trent. Hmm. And so what they did was they looked in the face of it, and they decided, hell no, we won't go. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, And then they codified their pride and resistance and became heretical.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And spat out of the Roman Catholic Church anyone who... Actually believe the gospel. I mean, that's the literature. Yeah, yeah. And you can
3: and you can have a papal preacher under Pope Paul recently, who, if you were to take his sermon, it would be better than 99% of the sermons of Presbyterian churches today on the doctrine of justification. I read it. I mean, it was unbelievably good who the Pope allowed privately to feed his soul. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable what this guy was saying it was just godly huh. reformed uh, yeah. soteriology yeah. but it doesn't matter as long as you know you have the window dressings and you got the skirts well, you, and you got the smells <laughs> You and... can't
1: keep the whole machine running if that yeah, becomes the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church because it know. all depends on money and power over the sacraments and fortunately the Presbyterian Church in America oh, has nothing to do with that it, is
3: not
0: yeah, it that doesn't about. know anything about that <laughs> 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 Were you going to say something earlier about this issue of loyalty and yeah. coming to truth? You um, opened the Bible to some place.
1: Second Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy, says chapter 3, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Hmm. And that from That's childhood amazing. you have yeah. known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, he puts he links those things together. I would say, a lot in places like the pastoral epistles. You know, the things that you learn from me,
0: mm-hmm, pass mm-hmm.
1: on. Uh, he ne- he he is always strengthening that personal bond all over the epistles. Really,
0: it's fascinating because I think that there's a lot of Christian parents who try to minimize mm-hmm. that relational bond in terms of you know they they really are convinced that their child is not going to have a
1: sincere right it's almost they they want it uh, to be purely objective somehow mm-hmm. or or just a blank slate kind of idea that they need to come to their own convictions and yeah and i shouldn't have any sway any moral suasion or leverage even though the devil person.
2: and the whole yeah. world does
1: absolutely
0: yeah yeah and th- they then they're not hesitant to have that sway you know to try to sway people. I mean, mm-hmm. to even say it is so ridiculous. It's one of those. It's like one of those lies that's so big that you just you believe it because it's repeated everywhere. But what is our media today except a constant barrage of trying to sway people? Yeah,
1: it's propaganda. Mm-hmm. That's really what. It's not. It's not a attempt to change our our thinking and mm-hmm. therefore make rational decisions about things. It's all about. Wanting to change the way we feel Hmm. and therefore make irrational decisions.
3: Can we go back to your statement about, you didn't say submission, you said-
0: Loyalty. Loyalty. Mm -hmm.
3: If on this podcast, we have a major premise that needs to be stated again and again, the major premise is all of us today, in a way unique across history, really, hate authority.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. That America today uniquely hates authority, that America in her roots institutionalized, even in her laws, her resistance to authorities does not mean that the Revolutionary War was wrong. doesn't mean that the Presbyterian black robes were wrong. But that independent judgment, the political rhetoric— Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Well, it's all coming out of the milieu of all the revolutions in the 1700s. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah. And so we hate authority. Mm -hmm. And if we will admit to that and be on guard about it, it will make your travels with us on this podcast much easier. (laughs) It doesn't mean we'll have the same judgment about where we're hating authority and where we're actually being faithful to God, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then we asked the question about, sometimes can our commitment to truth be a function of loyalty? And the reason I laughed was I had been saying that to a professor in our church for Mm -hmm. years. (laughs) I have been saying to him, because he has this one thing that he will not agree to, which keeps him from uniting himself to the church and vowing obedience to the leadership of the church, to the elders, the way every other member does, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say to him, you know something, an awful lot of life is submitting to the judgments. Of those over you. An awful lot of life is submitting to others' judgments that God has put over us. Mm -hmm. We submit to the judgments of law enforcement people about what the speed limit should be. Doesn't mean we agree with them, but Mm. we do recognize that they have a lawful claim over us. Do all of us really believe that, say, for instance, where we confess the words in the Westminster Confession, the larger or shorter catechism, or the Athanasian Creed, or the Nicene Creed, or the Apostle, do we all have absolute certainty that, to some degree, we've come to an independent judgment about the truth of this preposition, and this conjunction, <laughs> and this noun, and this verb? In other words, it's no. yeah. even if we go to the Apostles' Creed... It says he descended into hell. And Wayne Grudem says, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. (laughs) Well, okay, so why would we submit to something which we listen to Wayne, we think, well, yeah, what's the biblical basis for that? I'm going to have an independent study. Hey, can I take time off of work for the next two years and research this issue? I'm going to go to Bloomington where they have good libraries.
0: So we're going to switch to the King James version? Is that what you're saying?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen, here's my point. If we have a teenage son who has a girlfriend. Now, I know you're not supposed to say any teenager in the reform world has a girlfriend. Definitely not. Okay, no. all right, no. But if we have a teenage son that has a girlfriend, let's say that he's 19. Mm. And we look at the familiarity of their touch of one another when they're sitting at the table next to each other at our home. Mm-hmm. And we realize that s- physical familiarity mm. says a whole world of things that neither of them have a clue it's saying to <laughs> us, to me as a father.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: <laughs> and we go to him and we say to him, are you involved intimately mm-hmm. with Judy or Susan, whatever the girlfriend's name is. And at first he gets facial tics and realizes he's been outed by his own behavior. You know, well, I watched the way you were with each other at the time. Well, Well, finally we say, now you know that God says we shall not commit adultery. And you know, fornication is included under adultery. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. You say, well, you must not be impure physically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with a woman who is not your wife. Now, what does a man at that point do? If he's evangelical, or if he's American Christian, he'll look at you and he'll say, well, you know we're planning on getting married. And you say, what does that have to do with? It? You're not married. Well, yeah, but we have made a commitment to each other that that is tantamount to marriage. And the reason that scripture's saying what, now, you get my point. Oh, yeah. My point is, Would we tolerate our son back talking to us at that moment in his life, telling us that he doesn't understand the law of God and thinks he has a better way? No, we would say to him, submit. We wouldn't say to him, well, write a thesis and Mm -hmm. I'll give you a response Mm -hmm. thesis. Mm -hmm. So why is it that when we raise children, we have an expectation that the children will submit to our doctrine and practice as a function of their respect for the authority of God delegated to their father. Mm -hmm. And yet when it comes to you as a middle-aged man, you shouldn't submit to anybody about doctrine. And this professor should to his own self be true. Mm -hmm. And I say to him, chill out about your own self. You're not as smart as you think you are. I always Mm -hmm. tell him you have way too high a view of reason and logic actually they were corrupted by the fall also would you stop trusting your brilliant brain his brain is pretty brilliant you know and would you submit to the great host of christians across the
0: centuries who have said this but what else is he supposed to trust the great host of god's people but but wait you're not the great hosts of god's people
3: though you're his The Apostles' Creed is, can we agree on that? Now, a sophisticated man will say, but it's not Scripture. You know, that's what Wayne Grudem would say about he descended into hell. And you got to give him the point that it's not Scripture. But 2,000 years of the church, well, maybe not 2,000, they have said that that is a faithful record of the Apostles' doctrine. Mm. And it tells us that the early church was devoted to the Apostles' doctrine teaching and calvin says that devotion to the apostles teaching is the principle and first devotion always because mm-hmm. unity comes from doctrinal truth mm-hmm. and so i don't know lucas it seems to me that what we're lacking today is any humility in the face of our forefathers and foremothers and so be very careful you recognize us as having faithfulness maybe on sexuality Don't just trust the fact that we allow people who are Baptists in this church to be right because we're good on sexuality. In other words, we have to realize that God's truth is a full-orbed A to Z, death to life, heaven to hell. It is humongous. And what we have to do is being aiming at the unity of the spirit, not the unity of Southern Baptists of a reform persuasion as opposed to Paige Patterson. We're not trying to develop our identity as a denomination, as, you know, whites, as blacks. What we're trying to do is to cultivate the unity of the spirit in whom there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. We are gonna take a week off for Thanksgiving next week. So instead of staying up late and editing audio next Wednesday evening, I'm going to be eating pie at our church's evening service. But we will release the second half of this conversation the following Thursday. So I hope you'll be back for that. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Stephen Baker. Tim, Max, Stephen, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now.